ladies. Today I have placed before you a metaphor for a lot of things. This, this is not the sermon, but it's the beginning, and it'll probably end that way. You know, all of us have these lives that we live. And all of us have worked a little bit to work on this ladder and try to get as high as we possibly can on it. I'll just use myself as an example. I do not seem to do not pretend today to think that I'm all successful, and I'm, I'm just giving you some, some real-life examples. Because at 19 years of age, I got my first real job. I worked for IBM, and really all I did was drive around from building to building, taking stuff different places. And, and I had really got to the place in my life that, that I had achieved something, right? It was a pretty good job for a 19-year-old. I was pretty happy and all those things. And, and then it wasn't much later that I decided that I really liked this brunette who, by the way, is on, the, on, on her way to Florida today to do the NYI thing. She's actually going to be with Trevor, Trevor. But, you know, I got married, and that was a... That was a great time, and I had come up in my life and had done a lot in my life at that point, you know. For a 19, 20-year-old, I was already in a good job. I already had, had gotten married, and, and, you know, the next thing I knew, I, I had a little girl. And uh, now I've, I've really done what society says you're supposed to do. I actually wanted to bring the big ladder out today, but I thought that'd just be a little bit cumbersome. If you've not seen our big ladder, it's, it's high. Well, you know, once you have a child and you're married, and that good job's just, just not quite good enough because the house is too small because I've bought a house and everything else, and it's too small. So I've got to get another job, get another job and another child. And so now I'm really, now I'm doing really well, and I really wish I had that orange ladder now because it's getting pretty, it's pretty scary up here. So, you know, you can do that. But, you know, I, I have several kids, and life's going okay, and, and then I, I, I get um, um, a promotion and now I'm, now I'm something, you know. Now I'm something. I, all my peers, I look out there, I'm achieving all of these things that I'm supposed to achieve and, and do all the things in life that I'm supposed to do that's really good. And, uh, you know, all the, all the time, you know, I, I'm leaving out the church, by the way, just because it doesn't quite fit in this metaphor at the moment. It will later. And so, you know, I, I, I do that. And so, you know, I, I'm doing pretty well. And then I get more promotions one after another and I, my kids and I and then I get different houses and a and, and larger house for my you know and and not that I ever think that I've ever arrived at the top but man whew, I, I've had a level of success that you know I've done this and and for most people this is the way we think about this is the way the world thinks this is the apex this is the point of success and you keep trying right that's what you're supposed to do that's the way the world tells us We'll get back to the ladder a little later. I find today in the world, and you find it too, whether you admit it this morning or not, I find today a sense of chaos in the world. I find today a sense of divisiveness that, how dare I say, never existed before. I mean, we got at least 2,000 years of, of modern history, and there's more than that. So there's been divisiveness throughout all of history. So I don't pretend this is the moment of all divisiveness. But it, it is real. I mean, right now, you know, whether we're divided over the Supreme Court, whether we're divided over politics, or whether we're divided over, over gun control, whether we're divided over human sexuality, whether we're divided over whatever, just, just name it almost. We can find some way to fight about it. In fact, it's so strange because we don't even talk about it anymore. Now we just create a meme. We put it on the Internet. Basically, it says, you're stupid, I'm smart, look at me. You say, no, that's not what, no, no, it, it's what happens. It's discounting other people and their views and, 
And, and we've, we've created this way, in, in essence, uh, at least in our work, when someone tries to climb a ladder, we just, all we do is we yank them down. We just want to keep them down. No, I, I get that. No, 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 I get that spot. You get out of the way, I need that spot. That's the world that we live in where we learn and we build a culture of hate. We, want, we need to annihilate another person or group or th- so that we can have success, so that we can, some degree, climb that ladder. What is a Christian to do in a moment like this? Well, I always think, you know, maybe I'm just simplistic, but, I, you know, I like sports, and I always think when things aren't going right, guess what I do? I go back to the basics. What's the, fundam- the fundamental basis at which we need to build? If we're not blocking and tackling right, let's go back and learn how to block and tackle. You know, if we're not doing those things, and so what about us Christians? Because whether we like to view it this way or not, I do view it this way, and I think you should view it this way too. The fact that our culture is so divisive, the fact that our culture wants to hate each other, I believe is a failure of the church. I believe it's a failure of us not to impact the world in the way that God intended us to impact it, that we might be able to live where we would all live for the glory of God. Now, you may not view it that way, but I do view it that way. And so I go back, well, let's go back to the basics of Christianity. Let's go back to where we might find some stories about how to tell us the way that we're supposed to live. How are we supposed to make a difference in the world that hates each other? And when you think about the basics, what's a good place to start? Genesis. So I would invite you to open your scriptures to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in the fourth verse this morning. And when you find it, let's stand out of the reverence for the word of God this morning. These are the generations of heaven and earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and the water the whole face of the ground, and then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden. From there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is the Fishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah. Where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there, and the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. You may be seated. Do you know what I read one time? I, I, I find it fascinating, but I shouldn't. That there is more money spent on gardening than any other hobby. That's hard for me to believe because I play golf. And golf's expensive. But you know, I shouldn't be surprised. Go to Home Depot. Look, how, look at the section just for gardening. I mean, it is massive and it's there and, I, and I'm not really a gardener. I, I don't really enjoy it. I love the fruits of your garden, uh, but I don't really want to work the garden. 
That's just the way it is. I don't like it. Uh, for whatever reason. Um, don't, don't, don't judge me. The idea of weeds and bugs and rabbits and deer coming and stealing my garden. And, I mean, I have roses in my front yard, and I watch all the time on my camera. The deer just come up and eat the roses off. And I think, I guess, at least they're eating something. But, you know, I'm not into it. But I think I would have enjoyed the Garden of Eden. I think I would have enjoyed that place. I think it was a, a special place. Uh, I believe I would have enjoyed it as it was meant to be, as a paradise. Because this isn't your normal garden that we have created here. Before the fall, the garden would have been an enjoyable experience. I believe that. And I know that because the Bible says that after Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible tells me that things changed. When they lost the garden, they come under a curse, and God told Adam that part of the curse was this, later on in chapter 3. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. In other words, before the fall, I think gardening was pretty easy. It was pretty much a piece of cake for Adam and Eve. The ground cooperated. It did as you wanted it to do, and it did its own thing. Wells were springing up, and they were just watering it. They didn't have to worry about irrigation in those things. There was no thorns, and there was no thistles in those things to mess with. I I even suspect they didn't have to worry about mosquitoes and black bugs and those type things out there. I don't think they were out there biting them. In addition, that word Eden means pleasure, because Eden was literally a garden of pleasure. That is so wonderful. The garden, I can handle a garden that's pleasurous. That's what I want. I want that. I want there with, with, so it's wonderful and I can go out there and maybe I just need a little snack in the morning and I'll just grab me a blueberry and that is just wonderful, right? Maybe I want a salad in the afternoon and just grab me some salad and make it up and I eat it, you know, and I'm tired because I picked a blackberry, I mean blueberry and I've, I've got some, you know what, there is a little oasis, that river has made a little like pool and I'm going to lay by that pool and then when I just run over this edge, I'm going to grab a grape off there and I'm going to have a grape. And I'm just going, that, that, I kind of think of that garden is just a wonderful place. It's kind of the way I think, whether it's right or wrong, I think it's wonderful. I can picture that. That would have been pleasurable. But you know, in that story, before we didn't read this, but you know, Adam was in that garden. And somewhere along the way, he has this interaction with a serpent. And that serpent says, hey, you can eat that fruit. And you, you know what? God is way up there. You know, if you eat that fruit, you can take a step up and you can be like God. You know what? And you can really, you can really climb this ladder in this Garden of Eden. You can, you can climb up so fast, I'll get you up there. You eat this fruit, and all of a sudden, you'll be up there with God. You'll be like equal to God. And everybody around will just, if there were people around, will just say, wow, what a wonderful guy he is. But that's not exactly what happened. He climbed that ladder and then got the ladder broke and he fell off of it. But I think it's important to recognize something here. That is a pleasurable garden, right? But in 2.15, Genesis 2.15, guess what it says? The Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden. Listen really close. To work it and to care for it. He put him in that garden to work it and to care for it. As much as I want to say that all I do is relax and enjoy that garden, he said, you got to work it and you got to care for it. And with that thought in mind, if you, if you look at Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared for an event for us to do. Now think about this. God created Adam in his own image. Ephesians 2 says that when we Christians become God's workmanship, we're created in Christ Jesus. This whole image comes down. The idea that Adam was supposed to work comes right to you. And guess what? I mean, you may not like it. You were supposed to work. Because God did prepare something for Adam to do. And Ephesians 2 says that God prepared in advance the good works for him to do. And when I read Ephesians 2.10, I have this image in my mind. I visualize God preparing a secret garden, if you will, or a garden just for me. It's a garden filled with all kinds of good things. And there are all kinds of good things for me to do. And guess what? I have the key to that gate nobody else does it's my garden it's my place it's not yours but you have a that god has given to you a place that you are to care for and to take take very seriously and work it and i know that when i have this garden that is made for me specifically for me i know that i have good things in my life that i'm to be productive doing it's meaning that I know that I'm, what I'm doing in that garden is important to God. God created it for me. He put me in it. It's, it's a garden for me, me for the garden. It is perfect. It is my spot. It is something to be engaged in. John prepared that garden. I mean, God prepared that garden just right. And he prepared it just for us. And that gives us meaning today. The garden is designed specifically for you. There is not another person in this world right now and I can look at each of your eyes. There's not a person like you. There is not a person who has your personality. There is not who has your likes. There is not a person who has your dislikes. There is not a person who gets along with a certain group of people, maybe not another. You are so specific. There is no one who ever who knows all the same people you know. Maybe if you're a child, your parents do. But there is some nobody knows all the people that you know. It is so specific. The place that you've been given to minister and to work is so specific. Nobody else can do what you can do. That's significant. Nobody can do what you can do. This place is created exactly and specifically for you. Well, here are the lessons that I think we can get out of this. The first thing that I learned in this reading of Scripture is that God gives us nothing more or nothing that, that I can handle. God is never going to do that. Look at that. God created in his own image. He talks about how these rivers go out of the garden. And so they're doing other, they're feeding other areas. There's no doubt. It never tells us that Adam can't leave the garden. We're told that he's given responsibility over naming all of the animals. He's supposed to do all of these things. But, but we know this. There's no way that Adam could take care of the world. There's no way. God knows that. It's so big. But he says, you know what? You can't, but you can take care of of what's right here in front of you. God didn't give him all. He said, this is the spot that you're to tend, that you are to care for, even though he has dominion over it all. It's an old saying. If you take care of the small things, the big things take care of themselves. When we think about this society that we live in, don't you all just want to get in line and give everybody a good spanking and say, you act right? We don't spank anymore, I'm sorry. These are just not cool. But you just want to straighten everybody up and say, this is the way you're supposed to act and do. And that's too much. 
But I can't, again, when you go back to it's not about that. It's really, and let's get a little personal here because it, number one is our space, but you're also as a church, we have a very specific ability to do things that nobody else can do. And our church has its own little garden that it is to care for when we combine all of our gardens together. And all of a sudden now we have this big fertile gland, land that we have been called to work and, and it is significant. It is very much for us. Yes, we want the whole world to change and glorify God. But God is calling us to work right here. I'm not saying you can't go out of the garden. Adam went. I'm not saying you can't affect other people. But I'm saying your responsibility you've been given is right here local to you. Take a moment to think about your garden. Sometimes it might just be your home and kids. That's a garden in itself. It may not be much beyond because I'll tell you, as having four kids, it's a lot of work for that little garden of four kids. It's a big deal, and there get lots of weeds in that garden, and you work very hard, and sometimes the, the fruit gets rotten, and you're like, what do I do? How do I? It's a big deal. So sometimes the garden is just you and your home and your kids. Maybe it is your neighborhood. Maybe that's the spot in your neighbor's where your garden is there, and you know that you have an interaction, because maybe you don't have kids, and maybe it's just... Maybe you're no longer a spouse or never had one. And maybe it is the, the neighbors next door and it's the garden that becomes a little bit wider. And as this church here, maybe it's a, a, a five-mile uh, radius. That's our garden right there. That's where we've got to be. It's so very specific to us. Jesus once told a parable and he about faithfully invested his master's money. And it wasn't a lot of money. By, more, by most standards, but it's important to master. And so when the master returned, he rewarded his servant by saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. God has given you resources. God has given you the, the territory. And what are we really doing and in investing with it? Unless we think the little things aren't important, God teaches us that. If any man gives a cup of water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I'll tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Now, here's the thing, guys. When we climb up this spiritually, and now that little one needs a cup of water, what do I have to do to give that little one a cup of water? Here's some water. I'm not even on the ladder anymore. The ladder is gone, but now because it was so insignificant and it was very important to give this person, it was a whole lot more significant than me achieving some level of success so that people, you're good, you're good. You got to come down. You got to come down to where the people are. You down to where you are doing things that you think you might not want to do. Unless you think, oh no, pastor, we can't do that. People will waste those resources. I want to remind you that Jesus sat at the feet of one who would sent him to his grave, who was stealing in his money, and he laid down and he washed his feet. The man who would take all that he, Jesus is, all that he ever will be, and just, he knew that he would ruin him. In fact, he knew he would die, and he washed his feet anyway. Whoa. You're talking about coming from the top of the ladder down to the bottom. Man, for our eyes, Judas is way below the ladder. He's all the way down at the bottom of the ladder. Because he knows that's the garden. That's where you work the garden. You can't work the garden up here. you got to be down there to do it. There's a little book called um, Rescuers, Portraits of Holocaust Survivors. Some of you may have heard it. I've used it as a reference many past. 
researcher interviewed about 105 people who had harbored fugitive Jews in their homes during World War II or right before. Despite the danger that they had to themselves and their families, if they were caught protecting Jews, they would face imprisonment, probable death. And a professor of sociology at the University of Connecticut found that many of the rescuers had a long history of doing good deeds long before the war. Some were visiting people in the hospital. Others were collecting books for poor students. Still others were taking care of stray animals. The professor said they just so, they just so got into the habit of doing good that they hadn't perceived the pattern as natural. If they hadn't received the pattern as natural, they would have been paralyzed into inaction. But they were so good, they were so used to doing good, they didn't know anything better. They were so used to staying down here in the bottom of the ladder and helping people all around that they never considered their status in life to be something that would keep them helping people who needed help. In other words, they were faithful in the small things. And they were learning to be faithful in the small things. When a big thing, which we view as a big thing, came about, they could do it. They were already in the mood. They were already in the grain. So they were doing the little bitty things like cups of water because it was in their nature that God had changed them. Then when something big came, they were automatically engaged in it. That's how you tend your garden. What are small things that we can do to serve God? Now, there are a lot of things, and I don't even mean to pretend. I hate to give examples because it leaves out so much. But, you know, maybe there are things about our, our prayer life that could be more intense than praying for people that we might align with and, and really get to know a little better and really take care and be a, the hands and feet of God to someone in their life. I suspect there's some people in this church would love for some volunteers just to say, hey, I'll work with the children. I'll take my time over there. I suspect there are a lot of things in this church that a lot of people would say, if people were coming and volunteering they, all over the place, they would say, oh, thank goodness. Now, that's just in the church perspective. But I want to say about this. I was just looking the other day at a neighbor's yard. And it, in, in my neighborhood, you get fined if you don't mow the yard. But his yard was bad. And the, and the guy next to him was selling. And I thought, man, that would just make me so mad. That guy's not taking care of his house. And this guy's trying to sell his house. He's probably devaluing the property and all that stuff. And just about the time, I said, you know, I'm just going to go cut it. It got cut. A couple of days later, I learned that he died. He wasn't even living in the house. Because I lived in this neighborhood. It's, I, we, we all paid enough money to be in this neighborhood. You better keep your yard up. We want all of our property values to get up. We all want that. That's what we're supposed to do. So high and mighty that it was so hard to get there and say, I don't even know what's going on in his life. He's sick and he's dead. And here's someone up on the, on the ladder just speaking out, and we've got to do things better because when we tend our garden, we have to get off the ladder and we have to get on the ground. A man had recently lost his mother. He received many cards that expressed their sympathy and condolences for his family. Greatly appreciated. Nothing wrong with it. But there was one card that he received from a widow lady in the congregation that he remembers above all others. Because she sent a card, and then she sent along a package of stamps. Didn't cost much. She knew that when all these letters would come in, she'd probably want to write back. And she'd need some stamps. There's nothing wrong with sending people cards or sending those things. But this was a little deeper, because she was on the ground. This lady had, had experienced her own loss and knew what it was like. And so she said, I'm going to take that and I'm going to use what I have. And I'm going to then pass it on to someone else that their life might be a little better and different. Because she wasn't so much on the 
ladder and she was on the ground saying, I know I can make it. This is my garden and I can make a difference somewhere. This is what I ought to be doing. You don't have to do everything. Just do something and do it faithfully for God. Somebody observed in a poet, poem, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And if everybody does something, everything will get a little some truth to that. Second lesson that's in here. God's not going to give us more. Yeah, there's a whole big world out there. The first one is just take care of your garden. If it grows, that's okay. Just take care of that's if we're going to change the world, we're going to take care of what's happening right here in our own garden. The second thing is is to get God share crops with us. Does anybody know what sharecropping is? I mean, that's, you know, we're not too far removed, but maybe some young people are like, what's sharecropping? It means exactly what it says. It's sharing your crop. You know, in the old days, farmers would own land, and you could come work that land, and you'd be a farmer under a big farmer, and, and then when you finish getting all of your produce or whatever you were growing, or animal, livestock, then you would give a portion to the owner, and then you could keep some, so you shared so good crops meant better for both of you. Poor crops meant better for both of you. Sometimes the landowner would provide fertilizer and all those kind of things, different things. But I'd like to think of God owning the, the Garden of Eden. He even planted it for us beforehand. And then the Lord God took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And God shared this garden with Adam. He supplied all the things needed expected Adam to do the work. Same way God has given you and I a garden of good things, but he expects to invest our resources in that garden. And I want you to know, as a pastor who's worked many more, many, there is nothing greater than being able to invest in people's life. And then you see something good happen, not because I have done anything, but maybe I've just sent them a, a card and I sent some stamps. And to see something good comes out of that, guess what? God loves that, but guess what? It's pretty good when you get to see it too. When you get to recognize, oh, I've made a difference in someone's life. That's sharecropping. It is a blessing. It is not just a burden to be out there working in your garden. But when you see fruit, it's like, wow. Anybody ever grown a piece of corn yourself? Now, and I, I've done it. And, and that corn tastes better when you grow it yourself, doesn't it? The tomato, it, it tastes better. Does it really? I don't know. I call it sharecropping. I've got a part in it. I've got some blood and sweat and tears in it. And now it is a blessing. And that's what he's telling Adam here. He said, I, I put it all there. And let's watch it grow together. We'll get to experience all the things. It's a wonderful time. Sharecropping is beautiful. It's what the church is called to do. To share in the joyous moments of people's life. Once upon a I sat and heard the preacher ask, we need someone to teach a class. Now, who will take this task? Then, then God sat down beside me and said, son, that's for you. But Lord, to stand before a class is one thing I cannot do. Now, Bill would be the man to call. There's nothing that he won't do. I'd rather hear the lesson taught here upon my pew. Once upon a pew, I sat and I heard the preacher ask, we need someone to lead the songs. Now, who will take the task? Then God sat down beside me there and said, son, that's for you. But Lord, to sing before a crowd is one thing I can't do. Now, Brother King will do the job. There's nothing that he won't do. I'd rather hear the music played here from upon my pew. And once upon a pew, I sat and I heard the preacher ask, I need someone to keep the door. Now, who will take this task? 
Then God sat down beside me there and said, son, that's for you. But saying things to strangers, Lord, is one thing I cannot do. Now, Tom, he likes to talk to people. There's nothing that he won't do. I'd rather someone come to me and greet me in the pew. As years just seemed to pass by, I heard the voice no more until one night I closed my eyes and woke up on heaven's shore. It was four of us together there to face eternity, and God said, I need just three of you to do a job for me. Oh, Lord, I cried, I'll do the job. There's nothing I won't do for you. But Jesus said, I'm sorry, friend, in heaven there is no pew. There is so much to be done. If you want that garden, the garden, God is expecting you to work it. He says, this is what you're to do. You're to be engaged in. You're to be in people's lives. It's a relational. God is a relational God. I don't know if that's a new concept for you, but in our faith, God is a relational God. He speaks, I speak, we talk. It's a beautiful relationship. And that is exactly what he calls for us in our garden. Now, our garden is not made up of, of roses and those type of things. Our garden is made up of people. And guess what he expects? As we have received the relationship, uh, relationship with God, we're to then give our relationship to other people, which means we got to be in their lives. It means that we got to ask questions. We need to be yeah, coming together and having meals together. And it means having meals together with people you don't know, not just people who are in this room that we all love. It's going out and giving the extra mile. It's, it's perhaps... Cutting someone's grass, but you see, or it's even say, hey, is there something going on in your life? I, I notice your grass is higher. And next thing you know, they might be on the death doorstep. It's about a relationship in people's lives. And unless you have that relationship, you cannot impact them. And because we've gotten so comfortable up here, you know what? I only have relationships with other people who are on another ladder at the same level that I am. That's the people that I want to have a relationship with. Those are the people. But I want to tell you that those people are, are not as many as you might think. To read the, here's the real deal. I'm jumping way ahead. Jesus is born. And he does all his things and he creates miracles. Jesus never climbs a ladder, but he's bumped up the ladder. He said, wow, you did a miracle in Canaan. That was just wonderful. I can't believe you. He's going out doing all these things, and they're like lifting him up. He's a great rabbi. He's, he continues to have these massive preachings. Thousands of people are coming to God because of him, and they keep shoving him up. And then next thing, they're saying, oh, God, keep going up higher. You're going to save us. And he says, no, no, no. Over here, I see this person who's blind. I've got to put a little mud on his face, and I'm going to make him. I, I can't be on the ladder. I can't be your concept of what, what you think I am. I've got to be here with the people. And now he can see. They say, oh, that's so wonderful. You're a miracle worker. They shove him back up. He's up here now. And he's got a, next thing you know, he's, he's like, well, everybody's paying attention to him. They say, well, God, you, you, Jesus, you are so wonderful. I can't believe all the things that you're, you're doing is this. We got to get you lifted up so everybody can see you and all these kind of things. He's out on a boat and he's preaching and he's like, I got to have some rest. And I said, yeah, we'll, we'll keep you rest. He gets off the boat. He goes over to a demon possessed man and he winds up breaking the chains and he heals him. And I'm thinking he's different because he won't stay on the top of the ladder. He comes down every time. Jesus' life is like this. They shove him up. He comes back down. They shove him up. He comes back down. I don't care where you are on the ladder today. Get down. Get down. That's, that is the ground that we are called to live and to work. And when we see it, we rejoice with God. It is a miraculous. God says, it's not just about me. It's about all of us being what God wanted us to be. It's what he intended. That's what God intended. The world we have in is not what God intended. And he's called us to help change it in our garden. Hmm. Don't you love to see good things happen? Don't you love to see people saved and, and baptized? But even then, don't you like to see people realize, somebody cares about me. Somebody has spent enough time 
to come by and see me. Somebody actually thinks I'm important. Yes, we rejoice with saving salvation. Yes, we rejoice with baptism. But let's rejoice when someone recognizes that people love them because God loves them. That's good preaching. Hmm. It's been said that, I mean, doing that ladder got me. I didn't think about that when I thought this illustration. I'll have to wear workout clothes next time. It's been said that, you know, most churches, 20% of the people do all the work. But if you're part of a group, maybe that's not 20% do a lot of the work. Why not? Why not work your garden? How much do you spend working the garden for God? Not just at church. Instead of just showing up on Sundays. What about your talents? Do you use them? That you've got to do. That they've been given to you. Because God gives you unique talents that nobody else has. Do you use those ever for God's glory? Or is it because those talents will help you climb this ladder quicker? I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to climb this thing. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 10 tells us, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good you a very specific gift and I know many of you would say I don't know what my gift is I, I don't know I, but I, I guarantee you ask other people what your gift is they'll tell you they'll tell you what you're good at they know I always use my grandmother as an example who told me close to her dying days I don't really have and I was like holy cow she has no idea what a nurturer she was and everybody came in no idea how hospitable she was to come in her home and take care the, folks those are gifts I think sometimes we think, you know, preaching and teaching and all those things are the only gifts that count. No, no. Looking into someone and recognizing that they're hurting is a gift. The gift is when you actually take action, but it's a gift. It's a gift to discern what's going on in people's lives or actually want to be involved in their life. That's a gift, folks. If it can be used for God, it's a gift. One more, one more poem. And then lyrics to a song. And I, I don't preach as often as I used to, so my internal clock is off. So if it's, if it's yeah, if it's, it is okay because I, I, I won't preach for you for again, so you can just not, not invite me back. <laughs> Jesus promised that he was going to go ahead and he was going to prepare a place for us. And he told the thief on the cross, he said he'd meet him in paradise. And the word paradise is a Persian word, meaning a walled garden. Used for the king. Isn't that intriguing? Jesus has gone to prepare a garden for us, a place in paradise. So we have this garden here, but we have a garden there too. 1 Corinthians 3 11 through 15. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
If any man builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one scraping through the flames. A rich man went to heaven, and he was led on a tour of St. Peter, and as he was being led around, he noticed a beautiful mansion on one of the hillsides. He said, whose home is that? Oh, that belongs to your gardener, replied St. Peter. He said, great. If my gardener has a house like that, I can't wait to see mine. If he gets that type of man, woo, it's going to be great. Then he came to another more grand home when the rich man looked to St. Peter and said, whose home is that? He said, oh, that's Mr. Hill's house. He was a missionary to South Africa, gave life to plant churches amongst several of other tribes. Wow, he thought, I can hardly wait to see my place. And in time, he came to an 8 by 8 shack in the valley. No windows, no front door, a little, little bit of a door with a cloth hanging over it, not even a door. And shocked the man, whose place is that? And he said, well, that's yours. And he said, what do you mean that's mine? He said, well, he said, my gardener gets a mansion and my missionary gets a mission. He said, what do I, why do I end up with this crummy shack? He said, we did the best we could with what you gave us. What are you investing in? What is the amount of time that you're doing to build this garden? What is it? What's going on? I mean, because I get it. I know I, I, I four kids, and uh, it's hard to live life. That's what I'd say. I know it. But I think there's great joy in doing what God is calling us to do and to fulfilling our purpose. And to really close. No fake closing here. Two doors down, one rocking chair is rocking. She sits there all alone. Her husband's dead and gone. The best years of her life they spent together. He was always strong. Now she's on her own. And the telephone never rings and no one laughs and no one sings and it's quiet there. Does anybody care? Light your world. Let the love of God shine through in the little things you do. Light your world. And though your light may be reaching only two or three, light your world. A knocking at the door breaks the silence, and she looks out to see a little boy from down the street. She cracks the door, surprised that he came over, flowers in his hand like a little gentleman. He said, I picked these just for you. I hope you like the color blue. Could I stay a while? I'd love to see you smile. Light your world. It only takes a little time to show someone how much you care. It only takes a little time to answer someone's biggest prayer. Let the love of God shine through in the little things you do. Light your world. And though your light may be reaching only two or three, light your world. Jesus gave us an example. The very beginning is an example. It is our role. It is our responsibility. And I say this. There's invest in some one or two. And I think if you do one or two, that'd be wonderful. But I think if you do one or two, three and four becomes easier. And five and six becomes easier. So, the world is in shambles. Everybody hates everybody. Everybody wants to destroy the other side. What are we supposed to do? Tend your garden it's all around you stand with me father
We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And I recognize, Father, that it is so simple to talk about a concept like this so that our ears and our minds can hear it, God. But I know it's a whole lot different to really put it into action, God. So I pray, Lord, right now of a constant reminder that you would give to each and every one of us, Lord, as we go about our lives. And no doubt we're going to go have lunch or whatever, Lord, and we get busy doing the things that we're supposed to do. God, I pray and I give you permission to interrupt my life and everyone's life here as many times as possible to make us stop and think about the garden that we're in because no one else can tend that garden except us. You've given it to us. God, we are really serious and we want to be serious about your, your calling upon our life. But we need constant reminders, God. We're human and we're weak. I pray this week that is exactly what happens, Lord. Give us a challenge. Help us to meet it and help us to rejoice in it. We love you today. We honor you and we bless you. And we ask your blessings on us as we go to tend our gardens today in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.